If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Make sure to check out the video version of this podcast at youtube.com slash gameofmicrophones. See everything you're missing. Microphones. You win or you die. From within the house of black and white, it's Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan. Seven blessings, petitioners and decapitators, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome, Cranial Incapacitator, and Duke of Decolation. I'm Lord Zach, Royal Tongue Remover, and my services are no longer needed. (laughs) (laughs) Because the headsman, you know, takes the head, but... The tongue, the tongue pincer guy, you know, hot pincers, tongue removal guy. Oh. I mean, that's that's a separate job, right? Yeah, I think um, so. So, Damon, you know, said that he could keep his tongue. So, my services <laughs> are no longer required. Welcome to episode one twenty-eight. On this episode, we're covering House of the Dragon, season one. Episode 8, Lord of the Tides. And in case you're not already aware, this podcast is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen all previously aired episodes of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. If not, there's still time to be punished for treason with decapitation, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. 
Fear not, friends, if you haven't read Fire and Blood, which covers this period of the Targaryen reign, we will only be discussing events from the Dance of Dragons that have already come to pass on House of the Dragon, and will take caution not to spoil drama that is still to come on the show. And if you're enjoying our coverage of House of the Dragon and our complete series rewatch of Game of Thrones covering every episode in depth, please consider taking the black and helping us to get out of the red by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash gompodcast or by making a one-time donation to keep our show alive at paypal.me slash gompodcast. Without any further ado, let's get into our coverage of House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 8. Lord of the Tides. And instead of going, instead of doing a top five today, we thought it would be fun to cover it chronologically so we can describe yeah. the suspense as we go. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, episode starts out at high tide with a cool downward looking shot, which kind of pans up and over the top of the Driftwood throne as Rainey's is talking about how long it's been since she's seen her lord husband, Corliss, who it turns out has been injured. And uh, she tells us it's been six years since since she saw Corliss. So that means it's been at least six years since the last episode. We don't know exactly how much time passed since the last time we saw Corliss and when he left to go to the Stepstones. But it's, you know, probably wasn't too long considering the fighting was getting ramped up at about that time. Right. My understanding, you know, going into the episode was that this is the last major time jump. And that it was six years from the last, from episode seven to episode eight. And then she says, you know, it's been near six years since I've seen my Lord husband. So I'm like, bro, how, I mean, they sort of had a disagreement last week about, you know, does history remember name or does it remember bloods? Should, Lena's kids inherit the Driftwood throne or should, you know, Luke. Um, and, but like, they didn't seem like they were splitting on the, you know, getting ready to split up or anything. So I, I don't know if he just like took this, took a little void, a little six year voyage and ended up <laughs> in the Stepstones or if he's been in the Stepstones fighting this whole time. I mean, that seems like a really extended prolonged campaign. Seemed, that's um, what it sounds like to me. And he had already spent three years over there fighting beforehand with Damon right, too. So Damon. maybe he's just like, oh, I'm sick of, you know, arguing with you about this. I'm just going to go fight at the steps. Right, and, after, <laughs> and after Lenor, you know, died, then right. that, that may have kind of pushed both of them to a place where both were inconsolable and just didn't want to be with each other or with anybody, you know. Yeah. But, um, I mean, she didn't seem like she was mad at him. Um, seemed like it to me. So or I thought they were okay. going to split. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Last week you were thinking, you know, that they, so anyway, he's been gone a long time. And so there's, like you said, at least a six year time jump. If he hung around Driftmark for a year after the last episode and it was been six years from then to now, that would be seven between episodes total. But anyway, so we don't, it's been, <laughs> like you said, the easiest, simplest way. It's been at least six years. Yeah. And, um, Baby Joffrey, as we see him in a little bit, looks about six. So I don't think too much more time has passed. Yeah. Little Amond, you know, has gone from maybe 10 years old, you know, when he claimed Vagar last week to, you know, he looks probably a 16. I mean, he could pass for older than 16. 
But I was like, damn, he I looks think, like 30. <laughs> yeah, some people some people are saying now he looks way older than the actor who plays his older brother, Aegon. Yeah, I think so, too. And that that Aegon looks basically about the same age as he did last week. And it's a whole new actor this week. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the short hair versus long hair always makes people's age, you know, look way different. But now you've gone from long. Last week, we had long haired young actor Aegon to short hair, older actor Aegon. And it's like the short that has worked in revert. You know, it didn't convey the effect of him aging six years. It yeah. made him look the same or, you know, maybe a little younger. But his little brother went from a little kid playing Eamon last week to this, you know, probably like a 23, 24, 25 year old actor who's playing 16, 17 years old, maybe. And uh, it was it was pretty I mean, they both did a good job, and I really like the Amon. Yeah, <laughs> he's awesome, dude. Instant, instant classic. You know what I mean? Like he just looks so psychotic and crazy. Yeah, he's got these really good the at part. bugging his eyes out, so he looks just completely maniacal. Oh yeah, he's got crazy eyes for sure. Well, I, he doesn't have crazy eyes. He has crazy, crazy eyes. Eye. <laughs> this is the most jarring new casting for me because I feel like the new Amon actor looks more like the old. Aegon actor than the old Amund actor. So it seemed to me like uh like he I don't know, he looks more like Aegon to me, but who cares? Okay, we're getting ahead of yeah, ourselves yeah, yeah. here. <laughs> uh so yeah, Lord Corliss ends up being attacked in an ambush by a ship that were was made to look like it was abandoned, had his throat slashed by a Corsair's dagger, and fell overboard into the sea. The wound was bad, a lot of blood was lost. But the worst concern is the fever that's come afterwards. Uh, the blood fever, as Vaymond calls it, who says that he's seen men much younger than Corliss be taken by the blood fever. So this is quite ominous. And the question of succession of their house is now immediately important, um, <laughs> which brings us back to our talk from last week about Vaymond during the Ugoogly, Ugoogalizer, <laughs> the eulogy, uh, when he was talking about how the blood of House Valerian, you know, must never thin and it runs thick mm -hmm. and it's got to stay that way. So he was pretty much telegraphing that he was not too pleased about Lenor's alleged children and that he knew that they're bastards. And so we're experiencing the fallout of that in full force this week. Uh, it's just. I mean, obviously he has, you know, Vayman has his own ambition and what he wants to do. And, but it, it's like, if you would just chill out a little bit and not press the issue right now, just wait and play the wait and see. And at one point, Rainey says that it may be late in the episode. Yeah, we'll get to it. One thing I like about this set is just how dark the Hall of Nine always is. And it's just, it's a different kind of dark than actually maybe it's not. Uh, it did look pretty dark on my on my screen on my computer, but it, it's just very, very dimly lit all the time. And there's flames here and there, but big swathes of darkness throughout the hall makes it seem kind of gloomy, especially with this news of Corliss, which is unfortunate. This was crazy. Uh, Vaymond immediately is talking about the succession and he claims to, that he's the sea snake's own blood, the closest kin he has left. And <laughs> and Rainey's is like, be careful, good brother. One could take your words for treason. And so I was surprised by this. 
because now she's defending the bastards, whereas mm-hmm. last week she had been more on the side of blood as opposed to the name. And, you know, Corliss had ripped his hand away from her as they were holding it, holding hands in front of the, the, the fireplace in the hall and everything. So this surprised me that she turned back and she's defending Corliss's decision and the name rather than the blood at this point. But it's brutal because Veyman's position is also understandable here. You know, he doesn't want his bloodline to to disappear and turn to, you know, be vanquished and to lose high tide and driftmark to the bastards. Because on top of the insult of the bastardy is like the theoretical threat of theft of high tide. So it's like their whole territory here in their castle will be given away to a, a, like a different family legitimately, the people with their name, but who aren't actually related to them and, at all. So he, the way he's seeing it is if it, his birthright and their home is going to be stolen effectively. So it makes his position really sympathetic. Yeah, and he continues about this, uh, telling Rainey's, I speak the truth and you know it. Yeah, we know from last week that she also believes that because she basically said the same thing to Corliss. It's only us two sitting here. Right. Let us speak the truth plainly as we both know it. Yeah, exactly. But now the shoe's on the other foot. So and she's sitting on the driftwood throne. And, you know, I guess basically uh, Rainey's has, I mean, she'd rather. She'd rather Vayman not have it, you know, whether that's her own personal desire or she knows that that's Corliss desire. And she is, you know, actually just acting as a steward, you know, and in good faith with Corliss wishes, you know, we're not certain you know, which, you know, is the case, but she definitely isn't backing payment. Yeah. And uh, she, she tells him the matter has already been decided. And he goes on to insult Corliss here by a man whose ambition has brought down uh-huh. us calamity after calamity. And at this point, Rainier, or Rainey's, Rainey's is staring daggers at him uh-huh. and it, as it zooms very slowly towards her on the Driftwood throne. Really cool shot. And Veyman's just bitching about Corliss. My brother cares only for the history books. But what of the Valerian line? And uh, Driftmark is mine by all rights. The crown has good reason to take my side. He says that winds have shifted. Um, yeah, I think that this is our first clue that King's Landing isn't the same King's Landing that we left last week. Right, yeah. because Basically Ren- meaning with Viserys in charge. Yeah, because Renice says, uh, my cousin the king would have your tongue for this. And he says, but it's not a king who sits on the Iron Throne these days, good sister. It's a queen. So I'm like, oh, snap. What happened to Viserys? And then we get a transitioning to the next scene. We get an epic flying camera shot, a drone shot, shooting over Dragonstone, (laughs) revealing details of the castle we haven't seen before. Like what those abutments, those those big pointy Uh sections of the castle walls look like from above, which is really cool. There seem to be catapults up, up top in some places and. And um, I don't really know what any of that stuff was, but you have the little crenulations, you know, along each battlement, you know, look from the distance, look like dragon's teeth. Oh, Um, and some of and some of those uh, battlements are kind of shaped, you know, in a triangular sort of angular shape to where, you know, it could look like, you know, uh, the mouth, you know, little teeth at the top. I just, I mean, I may be kind of reaching, but it sort of looked like that to me. Yeah, I don't think you're reaching at all. Probably what they were going for, the whole dragon aesthetic. And I had, I had forgotten from reading the, not Fire and Blood, but from reading the novels, 
that, you know, good brother and good sister is the Westerosi rest. The Westerosi. Yeah. The Westerosi way of saying brother-in-law, sister-in-law, you know, good brother. I think Rob marries in the books. It's oh, not Talissa. Yeah. It's Jane, Jane Westerling. Oh yeah. Yeah. In the books, Jane Westerling. Yeah. Anyway, maybe she has a conversation with, with, uh, Catelyn Stark and she calls her good mother or something like that. Okay. That anyway, makes sense. Um, but them using good brother and he calls her good sister at the, uh, end of, of I cannot talk at the end of Vayman and Rainey's scene. Yeah. Um, sort of a formal way I to address said, one another. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not a king who sits on the iron throne these days. Good sister. It's a queen. Yeah. So that was just a cool little, just those tiny little, details like in episode one i said welcome back to westeros you know septons and septas yeah and yeah yeah the yeah. faith <laughs> and the seven and maesters and grand maesters and all the, the, the all the things that the terminology you know, westeros westeros is pretty pretty cool yeah i like that as we were getting that flyover shot of dragonstone i was like I mean, so the new Lord of the Rings show has also has some really great visuals like this, like introducing, you know, this city or that city or, you know, whatever. Um, but these kind of just these stunning visual shots and, and not just the movement of the camera, but just how good Dragonstone looks and how unique it looks compared to, you know, in Game of Thrones where we see Winterfell and where we see uh, the wall. It's like made of ice. I mean, there's so many cool shots like that that just establish the location and the universe, too. Yeah. And just how cool everything looks. I feel um, like we're starting to get way more details at this point. Like in Game of Thrones, we'd see castles in the background and then we'd be like inside of them and we wouldn't get a lot of sweeping overhead views to get tons of details. Yeah. But now the deed we're getting so many details and it's getting harder and harder to tell what's real and what's not. There's something else that I've been noticing yeah. throughout this episode is that they'll be on a set and there'll be castle walls behind them and all these crazy details. And it's it's virtually impossible now to tell where the set ends and where the CGI begins, which is yep, saying absolutely. something. Because I'm usually really yep. good at being able to, you know, be like, yeah. oh, yeah, especially if it's CGI. distant background, you know, distant background, they just fill in mountains and all kinds of stuff with CGI. And because it's distant right. background, you can't really, your eye can't, you know, scrutinize it very well. Mm -hmm. But this, I mean, the whole castle is CGI. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And, but it, so, it looks so good. It's amazing. Yeah. So we, we zoom over the castle and we head towards the dragon Mont. Dragon Mont. Which, I was like, bro, they zoom past it. I'm like, where are we going? And then, the, and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I, I, call, I always called it, even in my mind, as I read the books, I always called it the dragon Mount, but it's M O N T the dragon Mont. And it's this volcano that is one of the reasons I think that they chose Dragonstone. Um, yeah, it has lots of dragonglass under it. Remember? Yeah, and I mean, there's there's a hot volcano where like the dragons Valeria. can lay their yeah yeah, and and where the dragons can lay their eggs. Oh, Obviously, they prefer that makes sense. A real hot. Um, that that's why they do it. Environment to to lay their eggs. Really cool. Because I mean, if you think of wild dragons, they don't have dragon keepers to come and collect the eggs and put them in hot braziers. They have to lay the eggs and keep them in a hot location until they hatch. So what better place than a volcano? Yeah, you know, perfect. Assuming, assuming the volcano does it. Yeah, might as well use that geothermal energy instead of racking up the electricity bill. <laughs> exactly. So we find ourselves inside of the Dragonmont in a big chasm with a, a fissure 
crack down the side of it, a big old crevasse. And we have, we see Alex Honnold free solo climbing <laughs> down, down through the crevasse. And it, it's Damon Honnold. Yeah. It turns out it's Damon. And we can hear hissing of dragons somewhere. Cyrax must be like lurking around somewhere. But Damon, mm-hmm. Damon climbs down through the fissure and enters this big old chasm. And he comes upon this like blob looks <laughs> like a big old dragon yeah, deuce. I, I was like, what? Yeah, I was like, what is it? What is he doing? And we don't know who it is yet. Because oh, all right, it shows right, right. is his boots. And then he pulls out this little hammer or little pickaxe kind of a thing. And I thought it was somebody sabotaging dragon eggs. Oh, he just takes sucked. his little hammer and he's got gloves on and he's like, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, 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 oh, careful, what are you doing? Careful. Stop it, stop it. Because <laughs> I was like, I mean, that whole, that blob didn't look like an egg. But right. I was like, it's got to it, be making those kind of exactly. I was he's making those kind of sounds as he was like hacking into it. I'm like, oh, oh he's destroying dragon eggs, and all the and, steam uh, is coming out. Yeah, the scene continues, and it, you know he kind of yeah, he pulls some of the goo back, <laughs> and then it's really it's really pretty gross and uh, I say realistic. Like dragon eggs can be realistic, but I mean it seems like it could you know could be uh, like that. It's like the placenta. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, it's it's like this little encasement to to hold however many eggs, and that's the like they always seem like, oh, how many eggs is it going to be? So I don't know if they usually lay a certain number, or sometimes it's one, sometimes it's four or five, um, but three, and I believe the dragon. I mean, Danny got three eggs, but there could have been more in the clutch wherever Illyrio Mopatis got those from. Ooh, I wonder if this is the clutch that Danny ends up getting does somebody Bro, steal these cra- three I mean, dragon eggs there's dragons around for a while but did that I'm look like sure. drogon's egg that he pulled out huh yeah i can't i don't really remember the i mean i know one of them was kind of green looking and one of them was kind of red looking and i don't remember the description of drogon's egg from book one but i'm pretty sure they're they the experts the lore people think that Dreamfire. Correct me if you've heard something different. I've heard different people talk about it in the last few weeks. I think they think Dreamfire is the dragon oh, who laid the eggs that, that Danny gets. Right, because we saw that brief shot of what seemed to, be, seemed to be Dreamfire in the dragon pit underneath, and people were analyzing the look of the dragon down there, and they deemed that it looked very similar to Drogon, and were speculating that nice. it may have been its egg that from which Drogon hatched. Yeah, uh, since you know, you would think mother dragon and baby dragon would would share some, uh, yeah, features, ca- uh, feature features and characteristics of their you know what they look like and their head shape and how many horns they have and are they yeah. blood worm like Caraxes <laughs> <laughs> or you know are they like uh, Vagar or you know something else? So yeah, either way, this scene is freaking cool. This scene rocks. It was just like a beautiful aesthetic of like almost black and white looking with the dark stone and the bright white fissure and the silhouette of Damon climbing down. And then he pulls mm-hmm. out a dragon egg and uh, it cuts to outside and he's, uh, he's running up to the dragon trainer guys and he looks happy. Like he's smiling, mm-hmm. like probably the happiest we've ever seen him on this show. And he's like, yeah. giddy. Cyrax brought a fresh clutch. In, and he's uh, speaking in high Valyrian. Three eggs. Mm-hmm. Three eggs. <laughs> See that they're placed in the warming chamber. And uh, the, the uh, 
dragon trainer people, you know, bust out a scroll and inform him that a raven has arrived from Lady Bela on Driftmark. And uh, so just sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. These three dragons, these three dragon eggs, I'm sitting there thinking like, man, they're going to need every dragon they can get <laughs> for what's mm-hmm. for what's coming. But I don't think they'll have time to grow these ones enough to be effective. <laughs> so it's kind of a shitty situation. It's like they're overflowing with eggs now, but they don't have any time to, to build them into dragons, you know? Yeah, that's the thing to, to turn it. You know, you just need it. It's, it just takes time to turn it into a dragon of fighting size and strength. Yeah. So Damon takes the scrolls and the other guys kind of leave and he unscrolls the scroll. And I, I transcribed what it says on the scroll. Uh, in case you're curious, it says, Father, I write with news of Uncle Vaymond, who this moment sails for King's Landing. He plans to approach his grace, the king, on matters of succession rights and the sanctity of blood. He wishes for the Driftwood throne to pass to him that is his by rights and that he is the only unattainted choice. Bela. Mm. So, man, goosebumps. Uh, It's it's just crazy, the whole situation as it's playing out. You knew that the bastards were going to have to be called into question at some point. And it's happening. It seems he's he's heading over to King's Landing to state his stake his claim and to call mm-hmm. out the bastards of Rhaenyra and Har- Sir Harwin, the late Sir Harwin. So, um, R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> so then it cuts to a shot within Dragonstone, at a place where Jacaris is dutifully practicing his High Valyrian. And going back and forth with Maester Gerardus, um, talking about in High Valerian about Aegon the Conqueror and his sisters sailing with a great army and landing at Blackwater Rush. Mm-hmm. And he's having trouble pronouncing Dranyot. <laughs> Dranyot. <laughs> he's like, you know, they say Dranyot like a million times within 30 seconds here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, Rhaenyra arrives and this episode sort of sets up a dichotomy between Jacaris and Aegon. Uh, Jacaris being yeah. dutiful and responsible and well-adjusted and um, seemingly honorable and you know we'll talk more about him as as it goes. In stark contrast to Aegon, as, as we'll find out in a little bit. And uh, you know, Rhaenyra sees he's having trouble with the language, and she's like, you know, maybe uh, maybe you know, take a little break. And he's like, no, she's like, come on. I don't expect you to learn high Valyrian in a, in a day, Jace. And he's like, a king should honor the traditions of his forebears. And so we're really seeing here that Jace believes in the tradition and the duty and the responsibility of the kingship and what it stands for and where it comes from. And you mm-hmm. can tell that he has the right mindset for a king and that he's being well-trained and he has good intentions as far as we can tell. And uh, so he's like, a king should honor the traditions. And uh, Rhaenyra has a funny line. She's like, well, unless you're planning on deposing your own mother, you should have you'll have plenty of time to study. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah, true. <laughs> it's like, I just can't wait to be king. You know, more Lion King references. He just can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's at this point where Daemon arrives with the scroll 
and Rhaenyra's like sends everybody away. And we got our first glimpse of child Joffrey, who's almost a man grown now at <laughs> six years old, you know, he's ready to go out for like the Spartan seven. When do they, they send Spartans when they're seven? They send them out into the wilderness for a week. To yeah. Six or seven. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember exactly. They, um, did you think this room is the same room, Danny? I didn't see the throne, but remember the 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 great hall that Danny receives John and Davos Seaworth in oh. in season seven, seven, I think. I didn't think so because she came down a set of stairs and all we've seen is people coming into the room, that room through a doorway and then two doors behind the throne leading into other right. places. Uh, it seems like like I was thinking it wasn't, but then it was. They just has that. They just have a big, you know, a different painted table. Because this oh, isn't the little the, chamber. This isn't the painted table chamber that we've seen Damon and Masaria in episode two. Right. And obviously from Game of Thrones. Lots but it of is collection. a table of Westeros because oh. Jaceris, I think Jaceris is standing near the mouth of the Blackwater Rush as he's talking, trying to get that translation down. Right. That makes where sense. He's talking about Aegon's conquest. And it looked uh, at one point the camera came around and it looked like the camera was in the north looking kind of down. But anyway, the ar- the archaeologist, uh, the <laughs> um, what's the uh, art architecture? Yeah, the architecture is is very similar to the throne room that Danny receives John in uh, in the main show. But nice. it did it had a fireplace, which we didn't see. Um in Game of Thrones. So I think it's just, it's, it's a big room. It's the size of a great hall, I think. And the other stairs that we, that we had never seen before. So I was just trying to, I, I was thinking it was different, but then I was like, well, no, maybe it's the same because the, the kind of, the, the architecture of the beams and then the windows, you know, or it may just be open air. I'm not sure. Um, looked similar to, to the architecture that we saw in, in season seven. And do we, did Danny, in season eight, I don't think we see Danny at Dragonstone in season eight, except when she's looking real depressed after losing Rhaegal to the oh, Ironborn. Oh, God. And oh, man, that was she, so brutal. Remember when she looks so, <laughs> like she has no makeup yeah. on and she just looks wrecked before she loses, you know, before she loses it and, and burns everything. Oh, um, man. That that shot of, of Amelia Clark is still a meme. It's like, you know, me on Monday morning and her <laughs> <laughs> looking all rough. But anyway, uh, it was cool to see more of the interior of Dragonstone. And I think that's a whole new room that we've never seen before. I agree. Really cool. Also very dim, which uh, it's just, you know, that's just the way it's got to be when you have, you're only using sunlight and candlelight, basically. They don't have electricity to light everything up like we do. Uh, mm-hmm. So every indoor stone building is <laughs> going to be pretty, pretty uh, dimly lit, which adds to the vibe. And I like it. It was pretty yeah. badass. And so, um, you know, Rhaenyra can tell that Damon is serious by the way he's looking at her in this scene. Something major is afoot. And so mm-hmm. um, she, she looks at the scroll and he says, he means to call into question Luke's legitimacy. Oh, no, it's uh, this is Rhaenyra speaking. He means to call yeah. into question Luke's legitimacy and by extension, Jace, and by extension, my own claim to the throne. And here, <laughs> Damon is sort of defending Vaymond, understanding the truth of his plight. and. Uh, I was thinking maybe it's his idea to marry Jace and Luke to Reyna and Bela uh, as a political solution to the problem of blood 
because he says Veyman only cares about Driftmark and the Valerian line, you know, in a sort of understanding way, not about our politics. Uh, although right. she, but they they affect each other, you know, like she's saying, yeah, if, for sure. If if Luke is not legitimate, then obviously Jace is not legitimate. It's like dominoes, she, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, she is legitimate herself, but right. The, what big, the the question that that get that has to be answered is okay yes Rainier is the heir but what about after that and we meet Rainier before she has kids and it's like yay Ray Ray Team Rainier let's go ride or die um, <laughs> and you know we don't care about we don't care about what's next it's just okay it's not Damon uh, and Viserys you know at that point hadn't had any male children. So it's Rhaenyra. That's it. End of story. You know, the princess who was promised. Um, <laughs> but now she's got some trueborns. Exactly. So, now, yeah, it's super complicated. Now Viserys <laughs> has uh, two sons and a daughter with Alicent. Rhaenyra has uh, three strong kids. She has, you know, two. Uh, Dan- I think the, the couple name they've come up with is Daenyra. <laughs> uh, like Brad Pitt and Angelina's Brangelina. Anyway. Right. Um, yeah, the shipping name. So... The Daenyra kids, you know, Aegon, Viserys, and I, I don't know in, from the books what baby number three is. Uh, uh, Rhaenyra's pregnant, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Beep, uh, what's the news, news bulletin? Beep, 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 all strong kids, and that's the issue Super that everybody has. Jacked, uh, dude. I love that scene at the end. So funny. Um, but it, you know, it. If she doesn't have legitimate heirs, right? How legitimate is you know her own claim? Yeah, so, and if she's crazy. deceived the realm by, you know, it's it's fine to have bastards. Robert had bastards. Everybody has bastards. The problem. Until is, Cersei killed him. I'd yeah, forgotten about that. True, yeah. Remember sent, that? She, her and Geno slint. Holy fudge knockers. Bro, she, they went around and just like murdered all kind of babies. Right. Holy like, bro, duck. I forgot about that. I forgot about that ducking Cersei. <laughs> what the duck? The worst. Yeah. So <laughs> when Alicent has her Cersei moment with uh, Diana. Who's Diana? <laughs> <laughs> nice walking so, dead call there. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was hoping you would get that. Uh, old uh, Abraham, that's his name, right? Yeah, who's Diana? Who's Diana? <laughs> so I thought of that when I heard the, the servant girl serving went, Witch! <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so Damon's like, you know, Damon only cares about Driftmark, but obviously that affects them. And yeah, uh, he doesn't care about the House Targaryen politics. Yeah. But the key concern for, for Daenerys is have they made common cause with Otto with Hightower, Hightower yet? Yeah, this is what she fears. Uh, so we learn that Rhaenys has flown to court. Uh, a dra- yeah, they said flown. I called that on the rewatch. Nice. Yeah, so, she took. What's her dragon's name? Uh, Melis. Melis. M e l e y s. M e l y s. Yeah, Melis or Melis. Yeah, really cool. And so she flew to court, didn't fly with uh, with Vaymond, <laughs> didn't didn't bring him a back. Yeah, she ain't gonna, yeah, she ain't gonna ride on the slow boat <laughs> to King's Landing with Vaymond the usurper. Hell she, no. She uh, flew her drag. She's a Targaryen. Flew her dragon. So badass. So uh, Rhaenyra's like, surely she can't be planning to back him. 
And Damon's like, nah, nah, whatever disagreements we've had, she's not cruel or stupid enough to just do that. But, you know, as Rhaenyra mentions, disagreement, like she thinks we killed Lando. Understatement understatement of the year. Yeah, for sure. Disagreements. So we learned that she has taken Bela as her ward, although it seems to be potentially only to honor Lena. Uh, so this is pretty ominous and, you know, they're like, shit, we got no choice. We got to head over to King's Landing to nip this in the bud before it gets out of hand. I love that she calls them vipers. Yeah. Yeah. As, as the vipers venom spread so far, those are vipers rule in my father's name. So obviously we're, we're getting more and more clues that Viserys can't be in good health. Yeah. Um, and that. That's how Rhaenyra thinks of them as vipers, as a, an evil serpent. Yeah, it reminded me of Andrew Jackson, who referred to the central bankers as a den of vipers that he was going to rout oh, out. Dang. And I think on his nice. tombstone, it says, I killed the bank, <laughs> nice. which is pretty badass. Um, so, yeah, they're sailing on the Breezla X <laughs> towards King's Landing and the the red keep just looks gorgeous up on the hill at King's yep. Landing. Like, wow, oh, pale lower stone. And then the red granite or whatever it is of the keep is just mm-hmm. boom, towering up. It's just what a cool looking spot. And uh, we get some intense music playing here that I don't think we've heard before. Some female Oz. Uh, uh, uh. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, a. Uh... I don't know if it's any particular person or house theme, you know, like we got a lot in, in Game of Thrones. I think it's probably the Daenerys theme. Right. Or, or you know, it's it's definitely, you know, we've heard similar sounds uh, at different points, you know, as mainly it's like it's like the King's Landing theme, sort of, or just the general Targaryen sort of the King's Landing coming to King's Landing kind of a little bit of a mysterious vibe, but, you know, nothing crazy and nothing super dramatic or over the top, but yeah, so know, like it's really cool sound. Chanting Oz. Um, yeah. I thought it was really cool. Really cool music. Man, the music in this episode is just so good. Bear, is it Bear McCreary or no, it's, uh, it's uh, Ramin Javadi. Ramin Javadi. Yeah. Bear McCreary, Bear McCreary is doing the Lord of the Rings show ex- apart from the main title thing. <laughs> <laughs> Dragons over rings. <laughs> nice. So yeah, they, they land in King's Landing and they're greeted by Stefan Darklin. Who I wondering who announces that was, them. Yeah. Uh, I think there's some interesting Darklin stuff in the books. Um, yeah. They, um, they involved in capturing sure. Egg, the Mad King. Yep. Um, it was House Darklin. Or let's see. D- Dantos Hollard, were they involved in that too? They may have teamed was, up with the Darklins. Uh, and then Ares. He gets there captured. Yeah, yeah, Barristan goes in. Barristan the Bold. Infiltrates the whole um, Darkland compound and comes crazy, out with, with the Mad crazy. King intact. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think the Hollards and the Darklands both basically went extinct. Yeah, exactly. Dantos, <laughs> After that. Dantos was the only remaining um, ho- Hollard. Is that his name? Yeah. H-O-L-L-A-R-D. Yeah. Hollard. The Darklands and the Hollards were wiped out as a result of that, I believe. I believe you're right. Crazy. And Dantos was made a fool just to spare his life, I think. Yeah. Uh, so Stefan Darklin. So I, I can't remember their the name of their castle. I'll have to look it up. Um, 
or they're the seat of House Darkland. It's in the Crown Lands north of King's Landing. Nice. Um, kind of, I think, near Pink Maiden and other places like that. Damn. Yeah, I don't remember all the details of this stuff. But <laughs> yeah, House Duskendale and the Defiance of Duskendale. The Defiance the, of Duskendale. There you go. That was the name of, of that little um, uh, skirmish, maybe. I guess they held King Aries for like six months. It's like, bro, how do you let the king be captured for that, <laughs> for that long? long? Yeah, that's insane. And Tywin, Tywin had just besieged uh, Duskendale, or the Dunfort is the name of the castle. Oh, right, the Dunfort. Um, so, and then Barristan, I guess, was tired of waiting, and he went in there. Batman, I think in the in the podcast Batman. on the old show, you you compared Barristan to Batman, or you had some. Yeah, there was. Uh, uh, Cool. I wasn't the originator of that, but somebody was did a lot of comparing him to Batman. I remember like jumping on nice. that and, <laughs> and going along with everyone. Yeah. Hell yeah. That was cool. Excellent. So uh is pregnant as we see uh, exiting the horsela with Damon. And we and get horsela this- is red. It's got this like dark red kind of uh maroon color to their um Horsla. Nice. Yeah, it was it was cool looking. They're welcomed back by Lord Caswell. And he looks particularly nervous upon greeting them, potentially signaling how unwell Viserys actually is. And yeah, uh, just I was thinking of just the general mood at court. And like this is Allison and Otto's show. And you know, the green show. Right. So now that, you know, the key, the two key members of, you know, team blacks, uh, is showing up to King's landing to throw, potentially throw a wrench in their plans for drift Mart. Um, Lord Caswell seems to be friendly with Rhaenyra. He was the one who greeted her on the steps, uh, as she was going to, uh, After see giving birth. With, yeah, with the baby last week or t- was that the beginning of last week? seems like so much has happened weeks ago. Then. Think. Um, yeah, we've had two episodes anyway. thus far with the adults of Rhaenyra and Allison. Yeah, yeah, that was our introduction this. to uh, to uh, Emma Darcy as as Rhaenyra. Anyway, so uh, Lord Caswell. At first, there's nobody there. They get out of the horse, and besides the King's Guard, he he, he again. There's the King's Guard are the heralds. Yeah, um, true. <laughs> and uh, there's nobody there, and then he comes running out of the he comes running out the door. It's like, oh, oh no, I'm late. I'm late. <laughs> it's like, I would not be late for Daenerys. Yeah, seriously. And we get a little bit more about that, more dynamics on how nobody was there. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah. So uh, as they're moving through the castle, uh, Rhaenyra is noticing that a lot of things have been changed. And she's like, you know, I would say it's nice to be home, but I scarcely recognize it. As we see all the symbols of the seven everywhere and stuff. Mm-hmm. So... When Robert Baratheon sits the throne, we had all the symbols of the seven still around, right? Yeah. So, I'm and and Tommen, I think, has a big seven-pointed star installed, like as the backlight of the Red Keep. Like I think it was a Targaryen sigil, and then I don't, I can't remember what it was when Robert was king and when Joffrey was king, but it seemed like there was a new, or maybe Cersei changed it from the seven-pointed star. When she took the throne in season seven, mm. maybe Cersei changed it. You know, that backlight, this kind of. Yeah, over the, the throne. Against the throne, yeah. But uh, anyway, there's, there's, uh, Allison has 
chain, you know, put a, that big, you, it show it kind of pans down of that huge seven pointed star, you know, kind of window. Looking yeah. Thing. So what used to be there uh, was the Targaryen sigil. I don't remember. I, think, I mean, that's a, that's what Damon, I don't remember seeing it uh, exactly in, in previous episodes, but yeah. Damon asks Allison, you know, in, in this upcoming scenes about all that, all that stuff changing in the cat in, in the castle. Um, so it cuts to a scene of a small council meeting and Lyman Beesbury is rambling on and on, reminding me of Maester Picel here a lot, the way he's just yeah, kind of oh rambling man, around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think about Picel. Intonation or something. <laughs> and everybody's sitting around like, oh my God, this is taking forever. Looking <laughs> bored and frustrated with this rambling. Um, and, uh, is it the queen who says, thank you for that exhaustive yeah. accounting, Lord yeah. Beesbury? Like, they're Alice, all exhausted. Like, <laughs> and Aegon, the future king, well, I mean, I guess she has designs on Aegon being king. Uh, but Aegon, the elder. But he's not in the small council. At least Rhaenyra, when she was, you know, when a teen, like a 14-year-old, she was there as cupbearer, at least overhearing these conversations and, and how things worked in the city and in the kingdom. Yeah, but true. Aegon is like old enough to be married to Helena. They didn't talk about them having kids, but in the book, I think at this point they do. Um, but Aegon's nowhere to be. I mean, we turns out we find out where he's been and what he's been doing. But <laughs> just, you know, complete incompetence. Conspicuously absent here. And um, so interestingly, oh, so so Lord Harold Westerling comes in, Lord Commander of the uh, Kingsguard, and informs the Queen that her guests have arrived. And Otto butts mm-hmm. in and says, I trust they've been welcomed as befits their station, as, instru- mm-hmm. as you instructed, Lord Hand. And then Allison kind of looks over like, what the hell? You're like, they, they, they arrived and have gotten here and nobody told me so I could go out and greet them. And so she's mad about that because she was not informed at their arrival and Otto like circumvented her and manipulated oh, yeah, things. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think about that. I assumed Allison was in on just as much as Otto, but... Yeah, she, but, she didn't uh, know. Harold Westerling. Yeah, Harold Westerling's like, as you instructed. Yeah, to Otto. So she looks all mad and um, so we learn here that Otto's manipulating things without Allison's awareness. And so this is intended to come across as a slight by Otto to Rhaenyra and Daemon, having nobody there to greet them, yeah, which definitely. further divides and creates tension between Rhaenyra and Alicent. So he's manipulating these sides against each other on purpose. Yep. Um, so they're talking about who should be the Lord of Tides. And Orwell is saying that, you know, Corlys said it should be Lucerys, but... Lannister jumps in and says, the boy's been raised most of his life away from Driftmark. He can fly a dragon, yes, but can he command a fleet? And it's like, dude, irrelevant. <laughs> that has nothing to do with the um, parameters of succession uh, in Westerosi custom. You know what I mean? So Exactly. So he, his dragon is big enough to fly, and he, he, he uh, obviously he's flown it. So True. I mean, we, he, so was it, was it Jace or Luke Good to know. that was getting lessons with Vermax last week. I thought it was Jace, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I can't. I have to look up whose dragon. It was who's whoever has Vermax. But anyway, that dragon was pretty small at that point. So now six years have gone by uh, at least. And (laughs) probably both of them have dragons of size enough to, 
to, to mount. allow for a dragon rider. Yeah. So pretty cool. Hell yeah. So, uh, who's the guy that steps in here and says that the sea snake has never, never formally named Lucerus as his heir. Oh, the guy sitting to the right of Grandmaster Orwell. Dornish looking fellow. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I iron rod. Um, uh, iron rod somebody and in the books he's master of laws and they call him iron rod supposedly because of how strict he is with the law and with rule breakers but uh mushroom you're familiar with mushroom in fire and blood yeah the fool um he yeah he he always has these salacious you know counterpoints to the official you know grim maester and septon narrative mm-hmm. he said that the guy was called iron rod because of because of his tool, uh, his man, his manhood. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Bro. Uh, let's see. So, so, Jasper Wild. Okay, uh, thanks. From the House Wild, W I L D. Father of Zach Wild. Um, nah, Lord of the Rain. Lord of the Rain House. Oh snap! Master of Laws um, from the Stormlands. Damn. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had 29 children from four wives. Damn. So that's why. Hashtag that's jelly. Why, that's why um, Mushroom said that about him because his, <laughs> his iron rod obviously is working pretty well. Almost 30 kids with four different wives. So and anyway, he's still got nothing uh, on Genghis Khan. Lord Iron Rod, <laughs> Master of Laws. He seems to be, with what he says here, he seems to be backing the greens. So, yeah. Is that and, how you took it? Yeah, he seems to be backing the greens and Otto is kind of pushing it as well. Beesbury says, uh, well, he is yeah, seems son. to be what ground yeah. could there be to surpass to bypass him? And <laughs> Ironrod is like, what indeed, Lord Beesbury? What indeed? Like right. he's it's, not saying it out the, loud, but he, yeah. everybody knows. Yeah, the king has said we can't talk about this thing, but yeah. this thing is the thing. But I got a feeling somebody's going to bring it up in the petitions pretty soon, and we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, buddy. So uh, it seems Beesbury is willfully ignorant of the reality, just like uh, Viserys, although others here are not. And yeah, Alicent steps in and she's like, we'll hear the petitions tomorrow, but I got to go greet our guests. And so she ends the meeting and heads out. And so this is Alicent, who didn't know that the guests arrived, now immediately trying to correct Otto's disrespect and going to yeah. greet Rhaenyra and Damon. And Otto watches in disappointment as she goes. Kind of it seems like he wishes that she'd cared less, but... Otto would leave Daenyra just waiting forever, you know, for like four or <laughs> yeah, five for hours. Sure. For sure. But Alicent does seem to have some sort of um, regard for Rhaenyra and everything, despite everything that's going on, because she... You know, she's trying to do the right thing and trying to be proper and treat them with respect and everything. And it seems like she's being pushed into this whole situation. And so as she's leaving, she's walking out and she's approached by Sir Eric, a Kingsguard, and uh, who said tells her that a, a matter has arisen that requires her attention. And she's like, whatever it is, Sir Eric, I'll need it'll need to wait. And he's like, I'm Eric, your grace. So this tells me that. There's an Eric and an Eric, which means that they're both brothers and they're both king's guards. So he's one of two twins, it seems. And yeah. was it Sir Matthew in our in our uh-huh. 
chat, uh, Sir Matthew Rep brought up how <laughs> there was two twins that were guarding Lady Olena as well. I think their names were Eric and Eric too. <laughs> Eric and Eric, but she like doesn't bother learning their names. She just calls them left and right, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> Epic. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Rhaenyra and Daemon arrive at, Vis- arrive at Viserys's quarters. And we see that his model of his Valyrian architecture is all covered with cobwebs, uh, which is super sad because it's like his favorite thing. And, you know, he's not doing well if he's not tending to it. Yeah. Who was his helper who was helping him last week or the two weeks ago? Edard. Uh, Edard. Where you at, Edard? Yeah, you got to right? at least keep at least keep the cobwebs that off shit. that. Uh, the, all, off the, uh, I know they got feather dusters back then. <laughs> Keep the yeah, dust, right. At least keep the cobwebs and rats out of uh, the king's uh, Valyrian model Lego model city. For real, I imagine that he would have. Um, Viserys must have just booted him out for alone to be alone. He probably didn't want people in there. But as they're walking in, Rhaenyra seems to react to a stench, and there's incense burning all over the place. So I'm imagining that his rotting skin must stink, uh, must just mm-hmm. reek in there. Because she's like, oh, and they kind of zoom in on the the incense smoke, signifying that, you know, there's (laughs) there's a stench in there. And so, uh, man, it's crazy. It's unbelievable that he's even still alive after his body has been falling apart for so long. You know, since Mm -hmm. the first episode of the show, we saw him with holes on his back and they just seem to be worse. And, oh, we get more more views of that later, which are really disturbing um but so she walks through the veil and enters his bed chamber and this part is super 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 sad because you can see that the situation is really tough for daemon who uh who loves his brother tremendously you know as we we know he's obsessed with his getting his approval and attention and he wanted to be his hand um and Damon sort of hesitates before entering the bedchambers, signifying mm-hmm. that he's like he's not ready to see the truth and he doesn't want to accept the the how, what rough shape Viserys is in. So Rhaenyra walks up to Viserys and his face is half covered by a by a you know bandage, and he is in rough shape. His he's gaunt and. Th- way thinner than we've seen him before. I was wondering how did they do this? It must have been a different person and they superimposed Patty Constantine's Constantine's face onto him or something like that. Or what do you think? I'm not sure. Or if it's just prosthetic, mostly prosthetic on top of him, but it's like, how do you make somebody look gaunt? Like you can add, you know, like the Gandalf nose on top of Ian McKellen to make it look like a big nose or <laughs> elf ears or, you know, whatever. Did they but put a nose on Ian like, McKellen? I know they did for uh, yeah. Christopher Lee. They put a huge nose on him. Yeah. And he, <laughs> Ian McKellen already has a big nose. But like, I think they put, they put like prosthetic brow on Ian McKellen too. So if they didn't do his nose too, his real nose wouldn't be. Right. The size and the look that they wanted for an old right. wizard. So. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. But like, I mean, I don't, I guess you just put like a whole mat, you know, prosthetic on him that makes him look, I don't know. Or if it's, I, like, I think some of it was CGI. Like when Harvey Dent turns over in, in Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight. Yeah. And 
it's like that's pretty much all CGI. I mm-hmm. think. I mean, I've never oh, seen sure. behind the scenes for sure. But and obviously, this like when we see him at the dinner and he takes the mask off, you're like, ooh, that was my reaction. Yeah, I was like, me oh too. my <laughs> word. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> but it's it's amazing. The CGI prosthetics, the combination. So good too. I mean, his teeth. His finger, his fingernails were like this purple color. Like the whole nail was this like purple, bright, like dark color. Ugh. I mean, it was everything. It was like no hair. Like we've gone beyond Gollum or beyond uh, old Melisandre, and we're to like literally Gollum levels of no, like yeah, we three were, strands of hair. We were joking about it, it before, but damn, it's yeah, it's real crip, for real, Crip Keeper. And so Rhaenyra is, you know introducing herself and telling her that telling her father that it's her that she's here and that she's here with Damon and the mention of Damon particularly gets um Viserys excited because similarly to the way that Damon has craving been craving the approval and attention of Viserys Viserys craves the presence and loyalty of of Damon as well it just in a sort of a diff, just kind of different way. Like we saw after the funeral scene in Driftmark last week, how Viserys at the after party was just like desperate to get Damon's attention and begging him to come home. And Damon couldn't accept the help. You know, if he just hadn't, if he hadn't said like, if there, if, if it's something you need, if he didn't say that, it wouldn't have triggered Damon. He could have just been like, come home. I want you here. And Damon would have been like, you know, mm-hmm. that sounds good. But he made it seem like he was offering him assistance, which turned Damon off because he just he, did, he wants to be independent. But, you know, Viserys is like, Damon, Damon, <laughs> like super, yeah. like brutal, emotional that Damon has finally arrived to see him. It's like almost crying at hearing that Damon mm-hmm. is here. And. Um, Damon can hardly even look at Viserys in this condition. You can tell it just like pains him deeply. He looks at him and turns his head away because he just can't bear to see his brother in this condition. So it's just like, it's so clear how much these two, like the affection that they have for each other. And um, Viserys asks for help getting up and he's like, it's been so long. And the way he says it, it's just like soul crushing. Mm-hmm. so sad that Damon hasn't been there to visit him in forever. And he's like, finally, you know, like you're back, my brother. And Damon, I think, is on the edge of not being able to handle it, like the emotion of the situation himself. So he just jumps straight into business mode to avoid having to deal with the yeah. emotion. Yeah, all the personal issues and their history. He's just like, all right, we got to we got to try to get him to back. You know, you and and yeah, I think that you know, there's an like he just can't. Like, I think that he just can't deal with the emotional stuff. Like he's about to break down. It seems like to me. Yeah, and so he he's talking about how the sea snake is injured, and Rhaenyra looks over like Jesus, dude, you're jumping right into business. Like this yeah, straight to business, <laughs> but he can't do anything else. He has to, otherwise he's gonna yeah. lose his shit. That's my interpretation of it. And mm-hmm. uh, Viserys is like, what the stepstones? We won that years ago, and it's just like you can see his mind is going, and it's horrible. And the way he looks, the way he's all shrunken and gaunt, yeah, it reminded me of 
the way my grandfather looked before he died, he had liver cancer mm. and he sort of shrunk like that. The way, so his cheekbones were sticking out and his neck was really mm-hmm. thin. And <sighs> so sort of a triggering um, image, probably for a lot of people who have experienced this type of thing where cancer, where somebody just kind of wastes away. Um, and so he's, he's telling Viserys that the triarchy is resurged. There's new fighting, but there's a petition to decide upon the succession of Driftmark and the heir to the Driftwood throne. And Viserys is like petitions, you know, Allison and Otto handle that. And he's like, mm-hmm. no, listen to me, brother. Like you are to affirm your position for Lucerus to be Corlys Valerian's successor. He like, orders him what to do. It was like, it was like the king is tired. You know, when uh, when yeah. uh, Tywin told Joffrey to go to bed, it almost felt like Damon's yeah, the boss like, here. Like a lawyer, you know, coaching a witness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah you exactly. will answer this way. You will say yes to this and no to that and yes to this and no to that. You will say nothing else. Uh, you know, this, 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 and this. He's like, listen, you're still the king. I know you're almost dead, but you have to uh, what's he say? Reaffirm? Are you you are to affirm uh, your position for Lucerus to uh, to be Corliss' heir. Yeah. And it's like that's. I mean, Damon is straight to business. That's why they're here. That's why they're in King's Landing is to keep Damon from from supplanting Luke. Yeah, and it seems like Viserys is already forgetting what they're talking about. Yeah, because he's like, has something happened to Lord Corliss? And it's like they just told you he's been gravely injured. Uh, yeah, so he's yeah. losing it. And this is when Rhaenyra steps in and takes charge and decides to handle this her own way. And um, she wants to introduce him to the kids. And I was thinking Mm. upon rewatching this, I've seen videos where people with, I think, Alzheimer's have put on headphones and listened to old music from when they grew up and they hear the music and it like triggers their brain to their synapses to start firing again. Their memories come back and they start their eyes light up and they start behaving more normally. It kind of counteracts the Alzheimer's incredibly. And so I was thinking that maybe, you know, if, if she's introducing Viserys to new grandchildren slash nephews, (laughs) both grandchildren and the kids of the kids of Damon are his nephew. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The family is bro. It's it's so brutal. Oh man. Because Damon's kids would be Rhaenyra's cousins. Because normally your uncle's kids. Yeah. So they're both her kids and her cousins. And they're (laughs) both Viserys's grandchildren and nephews. Oh man. The family like, uh, lineage and titles and cousins and second cousins and brothers that are also uncles. It's so it's brutal. Crazy. Crazy. So, yeah, I was thinking maybe this might trigger Viserys to like wake up a little bit and to liven up. And so she's like, I want to introduce you to someone. And, and, um, we can see that, you know, it's definitely not Patty Considine's body here. It's too skinny, too different. So, um, really good effects. Cause it looks like he, it's, it's him, his face right. and everything. So mm-hmm. she brings up the babies. Father, this is Aegon, and he's like Aegon, you know, and and this is Viserys, and he's like Ah, Viserys, oh, and it seems like um, throughout Rhaenyra and Daemon's absence, it seems like Viserys has been questioning their love for him, Rhaenyra's love, Daemon's love, mm. and upon 
hearing that they've named a child after him, he seems delighted yeah. to know that he's appreciated and worthy of having a child named after him. And so his like sad joy in this moment, again, is just freaking soul crushing. And <laughs> Patty Constantine for Emmys. He needs Emmys, <laughs> like all yeah. the Emmys yeah. for this. Man, the, his performances in this episode are just phenomenal. And so he's like, oh, now that is a name fit for a king. <laughs> but a psh, excellent joke, considering yeah. he's, he's still got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then he starts he starts laughing and that like triggers some kind of pain from any of the yeah. numerous wounds and sores. And he starts mm -hmm. like convulsing, not really convulsing, but like, oh, you know, like yeah. groaning and Just like, yeah, in, in the throes of like a throes. terrible pain. He's like, and he just starts apologizing and the kids start crying and <laughs> mm. he asks for his tea and Damon grabs the tea and gives it to him and he drinks it and seems like he's eased a little bit. And Damon sniffs it, takes a good sniff. And so this apparently seems to be tea made from milk of the poppy. Is milk of milk of the poppy is a tea, I guess. I mean, I've always thought of it as just as some kind of solution that it looks like it was white from, you know, a, a poppy seed or poppy flower. Yeah, because you that, like cut you know, it like, ooze, they literally oh, yeah, ooze. Yeah, where we, you, we, we get in the real world, get opium and, you know, thus heroin and stuff. But I guess they could mix the milk of the poppy into a tea and then, yeah. or just. He Maybe made, it just tastes too brittle made, alone. Maybe, or in, and it may just be that he needs it so much and drinks it so much that he's like, "Oh, give me my tea," and it's like his milk of the poppy. Right, right, right. Straight, like straight. <laughs> but like, you'd you think know. in that case that Damon would just be able to look and see, "Oh, this is white. This is like the, right. the this poppy is milk goo. of the poppy." And I'm sure it has a strong. You would think it would have a strong odor. Yeah. But. So he kind of analyzes it, and um, and comes to that. So it comes to that conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, about himself, because he, he questions Allison about it in a little bit. Yep. So then it cuts to a different scene. And, you know, he and he, he and Rhaenyra kind of look back and forth at each other like, oh, God, this is not a good situation. So then it cuts to the next scene and we have Allison dealing with the problem that she had been informed about, which requires her attention. And it's Diana, who seems to be a rape victim of her son, Egon. And Talia, the servant girl who I had speculated maybe spying last week or, <laughs> or two weeks ago, um, tells her, I brought her here immediately. She's seen no one else, your grace. And Allison uses that word I like again, sweetling. She says, come here, sweetling. Tell me your name. She, she learns her name, Diana, and she gets the story that Diana was fetching the prince's wine. She put it on the table and then she didn't see him and he was just there and she asked him to stop. And I did truly your grace. You must believe me. And man, this, this is another gut wrenching performance by this actress here. Whose exasperation seems very believable. The trauma. Yes. I mean, the way like after the fact, I'm like, Oh, she said he, she set his wine down and Put it, she put it on his table, and when I turned, I didn't see him. And then she says, I asked him to stop. I'm like, so he, like, is hiding in the corner, and is like, boo, surprise, and rapes her. 
And it's like, <laughs> bro, what is wrong with you? What? It's like, oh, I mean, this, the whole, you know, I didn't, I didn't see him and like surprise. And it's like, bro, come on, come on, man. He's a major deviant, major deviant um, monster. And so great, great performance here. And the queen is being very, very caring with her. And thank you for telling me, Diana. I know it wasn't your fault. I believe you. And the girl's like, you do? You believe me? Yeah, she assumes nobody's going to believe her because it's the firstborn son of the king. And you know? who's going to believe me versus him? And you can see that. Remember a couple episodes ago with Egon and the pig? pink dread and everything Alicent was not willing to accept the truth of what a little bastard Aegon was now she's you know the 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 parents being blind to the sins of the children mm-hmm. now she's accepted it and she knows and um and so she, what she, what she is worried about though is that other people might not believe Diana and so she's asking questions like you were alone right and you didn't tell anybody else she told she did tell Eric and Talia, but um, you know she's worried that other people might think that she was trying to besmirch the prince, lure him into into um, you know sullying his honor, and you know what happens to girls like that. So she's kind of you know letting her know how serious the situation is, and she's like, I wouldn't dream of breathing a word to anybody. Yeah. I swear, a veiled threat yeah. for sure. <laughs> you know what happens to yeah. girls who do that? Yeah, and so she's like, I know you won't tell anybody. And she gets a big bag of gold and she's like, for your troubles. And she gets the, t- the moon tea and she's she's like, it's best to be certain. So drink it. And Diana's gulping. And then so this is weird. It's it's like Allison seems to be legitimately comforting her here. But there are some things that indicate that everything may not be as it seems. For instance, um, she could be giving her moon tea or she could be poisoning her. Yeah, that was my question. I was like, wait. Is she dying or is this? Yeah, it just, sounded like she gagged. I'm sure that stuff right? is, it can't be good if it does yeah, that it you know, to your, you know, to your body. So she's, for, the queen is forcing you to drink plant tea and giving you some gold, you know, some hush money to, to keep your mouth shut. So it sounded like kind of like she gagged like at the end a little bit, like it yeah. maybe tastes bad, but also there's something else that may indicate that it may have been poison other than, and, and not moon tea. Just the fact that it was immediately available because when the maester brought the moon tea to Rhaenyra, we learned that it has to be carefully brewed and everything. But Talia brought the girl here immediately, right after having been formed, been informed. So it seems like there was no time for a maester to brew moon tea unless they already had some that was available pre-made. Right. Or, I mean, so Allison could have, you know, waited whatever, 30 minutes to go see uh, Tanya, what's her name? Diana. Uh, Talia. Uh, the girl. Diana. 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 And waited to go in there until they had the plan T ready. Because assuming Eric or Arik and or Talia had already pre-briefed Allison on the situation. All right, Aegon raped this girl. So have the maester make some plan T and... Uh, you know, let's get this over with. Plenty. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. But so, I was thinking when she first gave her the gold, I'm like, oh, she's going to give her the gold and let her think she's going to go away with money and then have her killed and get the gold back 
and dump the body somewhere. You know, yeah, worst that's case. What, that's what I was kind of wondering also. By all appearances, it seems like she's being nice and calm and yeah. kind and understanding and giving her money to get away. And maybe she even sees a bit of herself in Diana having been forced to sleep with men that she didn't want to and stuff like that. But then it almost seems like yeah. she's poisoning her simultaneously. The, yeah, with the see, like, so remember, Melos didn't watch Rhaenyra drink the plantee at the end of episode two or three. But like mm-hmm. it, the camera kind of zooms past uh, the back of Diana's head and fo- <laughs> and focuses on Allison as she's gulping it down. And then we hear the kind of the wretch kind of, you know, gag. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We're just watching Allison's face. Watch the girl. And she looks very displeased. Like you will drink it. Yeah. You will drink it. You will drink all of it. And like she said, best to be sure. So they're, they're, you know, preventing, you know, uh, an unwanted baby from, from Aegon and this serving girl. But um, that could have been a I double think, meaning because she also says, I swear I won't tell anybody. And she's like, I know you won't. You know, like I'm about to yeah, poison that's what you. When she said, I die. know you won't, it was like, I was thinking, no, nope, she's gone. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But after watching the whole thing twice, I think the gold was really hush money. I think so too. They gave her plan T just to prevent a pregnancy. And I mean, she's probably not going to be in the service of the, the royal house anymore. Yeah, she's gone. She'll probably end she's up in, she'll, Send she'll end up in Flea Bottom somewhere and pissed down by Piss Water Bend. <laughs> I was thinking like Essos. <laughs> Little girl oh, yeah, like that so, shows up with a bag yeah. of gold in Flea Bottom. That's asking Sent across for, the that's, tea. Yeah, that's true. Going to raise yeah. questions and... Absolutely. You know. Yeah, she, she gives her the tea and Queen Allison says, Get up! And the scene, we hear that before the scene transitions to her waking Aegon uh, out of bed. Oh, right. Um, so at first I was like, is she telling the girl to get off the floor after just drinking the moon tea or the poison? <laughs> I'm like, man, Yelling that's brutal. She went, she, yeah, she went from being all nice and acting <laughs> like she cared about it. Sort of like Sansa did with, uh, what Cersei did with Sansa. Right, right, oh, right. Oh, sweetling, you'll learn the ways of the world. Um, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, but turns out that Allison wasn't being mean to Deanna. She was being mean to Aegon. Yeah, her little rape, her rapist son. <sighs> so brutal. So oh, something I forgot to mention in the small council scene is it pans down from this big seven pointed star, like as the skylight mm-hmm. behind Allison, behind the king's chair. So that seems like it's probably new, the seven pointed star up there. And then she's wearing this green dress with this. At first, I thought it was a pentagram. And I'm like, oh, Allison is satanic or what, what is going on here? <laughs> but I started looking at the star. I'm like, oh, it's a seven pointed star, not a five pointed star. Right, right, and right. I, rem- I remembered the seven pointed star is like the if that the sigil or the symbol or, of the church, the, uh, the faith of the seven. But it was like it was really cool and gnarly looking that necklace she had on. Oh, I'll have to go back and check it out. I don't re- specifically remember the necklace, but uh, interestingly, the pentagram, depending on how it's positioned, Sometimes it's not satan- satanic necessarily. Oh, okay. The, nice. the way that it, if like, because it, it's basically a, a five pointed star, right? So if it's upright, the top point represents the head, the two arms represent the human arms, and then the bottom points represent the legs. But when you invert that, you're like inverting the will of man and inverting what's good for humankind. Oh, nice. And, and it it's, like a flayed, it's like a flayed man, sort of like. Yeah, basically. So if you so take the, you know, like flip them upside, yeah, down, upside down, down, flay them alive. Yeah, so the inverted oh, pentagram is the satanic yeah. version of uh, 
of right, it. Right, and right. then the, the two upward points become the horns of the goat. The two side down yeah. pointing horns uh-huh. become the goat's like ears. And then the, the chin fluff down at the, at the bottom. Crazy. But Allison wakes him up and he's like totally asleep. He's like, what? What's going on? Like another day in King's Landing, uh, another serving girl has been sexually assaulted. And um, has something happened? Oh, man. <laughs> he's like, like huh? bro, how, how, has something happened? Uh, Diana. Yeah, it wasn't she, that long ago, clearly. Right. He's still like, huh? <laughs> the serving girl. Oh, for God's sake. It's like. Man, that's pretty blazingly just sadistic and callous that you do this to a girl and it's, it literally doesn't even, it's not even on your radar of, oh, the things I screwed up today. Yeah. And I realized I'm sitting over here grinning like an idiot and I'm not smiling at that. I was just thinking about how hilarious it is to be introduced on a TV show as a new character. And before seeing your face, you see, they show your ass crack. You know, like, we see his whole yeah, like ass crack and everything, yeah. and then we see his face. Yeah, which what is an introduction! Funny. Yeah, what an introduction for that actor! It's like, yeah. w- welcome to Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so super crazy. He doesn't even remember. He's like not sure what she's referring to. So like, he clearly, um, you know, he doesn't know right from wrong. Otherwise, he would be able to logically extrapolate to what she's referring by yeah, he downplays it you know saying oh just harmless fun she didn't need to get upset about it and allison is like beside herself think of the shame on your wife so nat so we know that Aegon is married mm-hmm. and we were told last episode they were betrothed uh he was betrothed to his sister helena so and we later learn obviously that's who he's married to but that was i caught that on, on the first watch i'm like your wife. I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. Six years have gone Went by. Through. He's probably like, <laughs> he's probably in his mid to early twenties or mid twenties. Uh, so yeah, he's married and he's still, still do like some people, you know, they're a bachelor and they, you know, so they're wild oats and then they get married and calm down. Still but, a philanderer. Is that the right word? Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> and then she, um, she says, carrying on on a day like today. And he's like, what, what day is it? Slap. <laughs> Boom, man, she gets him good. Cracks him. Um, then she hits him with the Tywin treatment. You know, you're no son of mine. Yeah, a little direct um, quote. Yeah. Did he say that in the show? Or in the show, did he say, you're not my son? I think I he said, you're no son of mine. I think he's, I mean, I think it's the right. exact and quote. I'm pretty certain, you're no son of mine is the book quote. But I couldn't remember oh, if they slightly okay. changed it for the show. I think, But I think Tywin did. I think I remember Charles dancing. Yeah, that smug Tywin dance. Yeah, know, yeah. Accent. Oh, man. What you're a no great, son of mine. great performance, man. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the all-time greats. Yeah, big um, time. Dang it. Where was I? You know, yeah, you're no son of mine. And then he, like, plays the pity, plays the pity card. It's like, oh, I didn't ask for this. And starts crying. What I do. <laughs> when that, what I, I was like, I have zero remorse for him. Zero. Or what I do. Zilch. What I do for you and father will never be enough. And I thought he might say grandfather. Cause we've several times we've seen, we've seen Otto like snatch him up. And, oh. like, you know, he was drunk on the steps at Driftmark last episode. And I got Otto, what you, mean. you know, snatches him up. Get to bed. You, you know, you're drunker. Kicks his ass too, like uh, <laughs> brother, <it>. brother. <laughs> uh, 
Hey, brother. I thought you uh, meant grandfather uh, as in Viserys, because I keep thinking of them as his grandchildren, even though they're not, you know, and I keep getting right, them yeah, mixed up in wise, my head. But, yeah, yeah, it yeah. seems like all these kids, besides Rhaenyra, should be his grandkids. Yeah, totally. But yeah, yeah, but this, but it, that's how that, that Aegon and Aemon and Helena, their nephews are, it's not their brothers or stepbrothers. Or cousins. Their stepsister is Rhaenyra. Yep. So their step nephews are Luke and Jace and Joffrey. So yeah, again, the family relationships and who is what to who is is pretty crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was when he said, "Oh, what I do for you and father will never be enough." I was thinking, you know, Otto too. Otto yeah, probably has higher standards time. for him than anybody. Oh yeah, I would agree. He's probably been a you know played a role in turning him into a little shitbag. I bet. Considering the way we've seen him manipulating things behind Allison's back and sort of circumventing her to enact his will, like leaving Rhaenyra and Daemon abandoned upon their arrival at King's Landing. It wouldn't surprise me if he's circumventing her in other ways and manipulating the minds of her children, at least um, of Aegon, for sure, and probably Aemond as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then Helene. Helena comes in and it's like, where's Deanna? Uh, oh, that was Helena uh, that came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aegon's wife. And yeah. then, oh, so we do we do learn that they have children. She says, has anybody seen Diana? Oh. She was supposed to dress the children. There you go. Um, boom. Does it say child or children? Children. Dress the children. So they at least have two. Uh, we don't get their names, but, you know, they're in, the names are in the book. And I'm pretty sure Ryan Condal told Sapochnik and others, like, no, we're not changing names. For Claire. Like they changed Yara and yeah, from Asha to Osha, Yara, Asha or because there was Asha and Osha, Asha and uh, you know, so they're yeah, yeah, clearing things up and they changed so, um, the, something, a couple of things. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but Ryan Condal has said no, we're not changing names. Lena, Bela, uh, Rayla, Rainis, Maylis. <laughs> we're not changing names. Good. Don't make uh, it easy on us. Exactly, <laughs> people. People can learn and it can be a struggle. You know, we struggle with names today and last week and the week before. And, but it's, you know, it's fun to, once you get, are with the characters for a while. Yeah. Don't you know, dumb down I, the excellence and intricacy of your art for the audience. You know, that's, that's a travesty. Yeah. For the casual audience, it's like, Oh, who's uh, Raina and Rainy. Yeah, and imagine, if imagine if Shakespeare was like, Hmm, maybe I should make this a little bit easier for people to understand. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that would yeah, suck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would suck. Don't yeah. do it. I remember going through Shakespeare in high school and my teacher was like, Oh, see Shakespeare made a jest here with this, you know, some phrase. I'm like, I mean, you're in high school and you don't care about Shakespeare. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't seem funny to me at all. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. and they, you know, I was like, so I would just tune out the teacher. But the yeah, bard. That, the art, I mean, make it artful and intricate and interesting. You know, don't yeah. name, name everybody John and Dave and People Steve. are still analyzing Shakespeare hundreds of years later. And yeah. I, that's what I've been saying about George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. There are so many complexities in the book and so many hidden details and things that work together and symbolize other things that, you know, there's history and mythology and astronomy and all these different things encoded into the writing. People could be deciphering yeah. it for a long time, I think. Yeah. Really cool. But after Helena says that, has anybody seen Diana? She was supposed to dress the children. Allison like runs and embraces Helena, like 
somebody just died. Right. That's what like that makes me weird. curious about whether or not it was poison, uh, uh, you know, because it could be a cover story. Oh, like Diana had an accident and she died and so she's gone, you know, or it could be that she actually poisoned her. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we were just the scene before we were, I mean, we don't know how much time has passed between scenes, but we were just with, Allison and Deanna. Yeah. Just and to, now that, we, that's the other thing too. It's like when she's staring down at her and she's drinking the potion, the look on Allison's face seemed like sorrowful to me. Like she, like she was doing something she didn't want to have to do, which sort of implied that it may have been poison. Um, but that she was, you know, but then again, she's embracing the seven and the religion of, you know, of the, the faith of the seven as a way of, um, redeeming herself and repenting for her sin and involvement with, uh, with, with, uh, Laris and her slicing of Rhaenyra and all of this stuff. So uh, on her, like her path of redemption, it would be odd for her to poison an innocent rape victim. <laughs> It's hard to be on a path of redemption if you're utterly irredeemable. <laughs> well, good, the good thing she's not then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Um, yeah, she just, she, she hugs Helena like, oh, you know, sweet like somebody Lane. died. You wouldn't understand. Like, it, yeah, I don't know. It, it seemed kind of odd to me that that was how Allison greeted Helena. Yeah. And then it just cuts to the next scene uh, with Damon and Rhaenyra. I feel like they did made these little details to leave it intentionally ambiguous for us to try to decipher what what really happened with the T, quote unquote, to make her character not necessarily, you know, to leave it gray and make us wonder and have us analyze. And, you know, like like we view the character somewhat differently and we're coming at it from different perspectives. And, you know, yeah. everybody is. That's what makes the show so good is that there's a million different ways to uh, interpret things and everything like that. We've already talked about that in previous episodes. <laughs> So absolutely, um, you know, because there's also the thing like if she just if she paid and let her go, Diana, then that's a loose end that's running around out there. You know, she said, I, yeah, know, I, I know you won't tell anybody. So if she poisoned her, it would tie up every loose end. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's what Cersei would do. So is Allison on that level of absolute savagery yeah or, i don't think you know, so she's somewhere in between i don't think so but i like the fact that we can wonder about it yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> so uh next allison is showing up to greet rhaenyra and daemon uh, but before they get there the two are just kind of talking about how mm -hmm. horrible what horrible condition um viserys is in and how they should potentially consult Maester Gerardus, who's the maester at Dragonstone that was talking earlier with them about Lord Corliss's situation. And um, they're like, maybe if he saw Viserys, he'd suggest a different, you know, treatment option potentially is what they're talking about. Sort of the way that Maester Orwile suggested a poultice as opposed to yeah. the, whatever they were using at the time, the milk yeah. of the poppy. And, yeah, Melos uh, was all about the the bleedings and the oh yeah the leeches not leeches That's leeches and the bleeding him and the uh maggots bro i still i think in the second episode that scene where he stuck his hand in the maggots makes me hungry just thinking about Ugh. it just kidding <laughs> extra protein oh, so but, gross. Now, but now uh orwell is the grand maester so 
if Melos was doing something nefarious with Viserys' health, you know, with him and Otto, we think we're in cahoots, you know, on something. Mm-hmm. If Orwell had a different medical, you know, philosophy. He's in charge or, now, right? Right. Which could of explain why Viserys is still alive. Because it's been so long True. since Hot Otto had... Uh, actually, no, it's been a while now that Otto's back in charge. Um, but yeah, uh, never mind. I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking Otto yeah, I mean, left because- and maybe then Melos lost his his backing and so he had to start really treating the king or you know what i mean but who knows yeah who knows but yeah either way or while mellows whoever's taking care of the king you know he has survived a long time but obviously in a pretty steady rate of decline yeah uh, for sure man, oh man no, no eyeball oh. when, he took the ma- when he took the mask off at the dinner i was just like oh. <laughs> yeah. me too me too Some, we'll, uh, get there. we'll get there yeah okay uh, <laughs> um, um so uh, Allison comes in and says, you know, Princess Rhaenyra and Prince Damon. And Damon's response was, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, that's exactly how I would have greeted Allison. And um, I don't even think he stood up. Did he stand up? Uh, I don't recall. But I, mean, then, I don't yeah, think he did. He might have. Allison c- continues Which, with like the, the attitude. It's been so long since we were granted the joy of your presence, you know, clearly being sarcastic. And yeah. And uh, tension, there's still a lot of tension at this point uh, between them all. And it sucks because Damon is like, you know, Rhaenyra is like, indeed, your grace. And Damon says, though, not long enough to merit a greeting upon our arrival. And um, Alicent, you know, would have been there. But <laughs> the tension in this scene, because of not being greeted and being slighted in that manner, uh-huh. the perceived slight is a byproduct of Otto circumventing her, like we talked about. So yeah. Otto is driving a wedge between them constantly. And Allison, you know, as soon as she finds out in the council meeting, she boom, leaves basically and goes to do her duty and to meet them. She would have met them. She would have shown the respect that their station deserved as heir and prince. And um, so it just sucks that like Otto is just driving a wedge and, you know, it's uh, it's just brutal. Like it could have everything could have gone so differently. With just a few yeah. minor changes, you know. Yeah, definitely. The um, and we, I mean, I guess we're to assume that the order that we see these scenes is the order that it happened, you know. Yeah. Unless think- we're unless you're watching Westworld, uh, they play with time. And, oh yeah. You know, you know, with like you know, jump back, jumping back and forth, and you have no clue for a long time. Anyway, right. so Allison but, was going to meet them immediately, but then the rape situation was right. Yeah, like Eric or Eric, super said, important. Oh, come over here and deal with this. So she deals with Diana. So she did. Then she goes and deals with Aegon, and then finally she gets to go and greet Rhaenyra and Damon. And in the meantime, they've already had a chance to go in and see Viserys, talk to him for a minute, um, tell him. You know, we love you, but and we know you're really sick, but you have to affirm Lucera's position as heir of Driftmark. Yeah. And Viserys is trying to be like, what? Has something happened to Corliss? Then they introduce him to the babies and all this time has passed between when they get to the Red Keep and when Allison finally, uh, gets finally there shows up yeah. to greet him. Craziness. So um, Damon is mad at Allison for keeping him hopped up on on opiates on the milk of the poppy and uh she's she's tell, talking about how she she and Otto don't rule they just are stewards of the king's will and wisdom nice phrasing there 
And Damon's like, hey, what? How can you even tell what that is through blinks and wheezes? Like, how is he expressing this, his desires and wisdom? He says, I'd be surprised if he could even remember his own name or if you could. Like, he, <laughs> yeah, that was that was hardcore. Yeah. And. Uh, so she's telling him, like, listen, his his in really bad condition. It He's in a lot of pain. He needs the milk of the poppy. Uh, the maesters are advising it and Damon's just like not having it. And Rhaenyra says that they keep him addled on milk of the poppy while the high towers warm his throne. And Allison's begging with her, Rhaenyra, if you could just see him without it, almost blind with suffering. And we know that's true because we've, we see it throughout the episode that he's just like, Oh, you know, just a horrible Mm -hmm. pain. And uh, I, I do feel that there is an element of sincerity to Allison's argument here that she's trying to do right by Viserys. We see her throughout the episode doting on him and, and caring for him and coming to his bedside and, and coming, you know, holding him up and calling the, the guards when he's feeling sick. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get more into that. But I, I do feel like she does care and that she, you know, she's caught in between a rock and a hard place. So she's like, the, you know, the maesters are advising it. And, he, and Damon's like, oh, well, did the maesters also advise the removal of Targaryen heraldry from the castle? You know, because they used to have the, the big old uh, tapestries or the dragon sex and everything yeah. like that and mm-hmm. all kinds of Targ stuff all over the place. And it's been sort of removed and replaced with faith of the seven idolatry. Um, and so he's like, you know, what's up with that? Like, clearly, you're not just executing the king's will. You're also leaving your own mark here and doing your own thing. And uh, Alicent says that the symbols of the seven are only guides uh, for their uncertain path to remind them of a higher authority. And that was kind of a slight to the power of the Targaryens. She's implying that there's something greater than the Targaryens. And the Targaryens don't buy that. They sort of see themselves as the gods. Yeah, their whole deal. Yeah. yeah, the Targaryen's whole deal is they're exceptional. They have the pure blood, uh, the blood of old Valyria, as they, you know, it's already said, you know, the blood of old Valyria is to House of the Dragon as winter is coming is to Game of Thrones. Like, you remember Ned Stark said that like a hundred times in the first like two or three episodes. Winter is coming. So the, the Targaryens <laughs> and the Valyrians say blood of old Valyria, blood of old Valyria, blood of old Valyria, blood of old Valyria. <laughs> and just constantly reminding us. Yeah. So um, Rhaenyra is like, well, who's who's going to be sitting in who? What authority will be sitting judgment on my son's claim tomorrow regarding his inheritance? And Allison's like, well, that would be mine and the hands. Damon's like, oh, okay. And she kind of warns him here, like, watch out, because, yeah, the father is just and and he's for commanding me to forget these accusations of bypassing the king's will that you're making here in this room. I mean, they, what accusation, I mean, I'm just thinking back on their conversation. I mean, Damon, Damon, I guess the accusation Damon made was that they're keeping him hopped up on, I'm all hopped up on Mountain Dew. I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew. Yeah. They're, all, they're, keep, they're keeping them all hopped up on Milk of the Poppy. And doing their own thing. So the high towers can, you know, rule by proxy. Yeah, effectively. Uh, I mean, I guess that is a pretty serious accusation definitely definitely but Rhaenyra did sort of play the you know trying to be peacekeeper between Damon and 
because you know at the beginning she says, "Oh, what will we know of ruling the realm?" and right, you know, right, right. <laughs> trying to not side with Allison, but trying to get Damon to chill a little bit. <laughs> yeah, trying to mediate a bit. So then, where do we go next? Yeah, so so Luke and Jace, you know, go are outside in the in the training yard. Um, you know, they're kind of as you grow up and get taller and and as a kid, <laughs> yeah. when you go back and revisit things that you've been before, like man, this. It's looks so smaller small. than it was before. But when you were, if you were like a little kid and were like two and a half or three feet tall, and now you're, you know, four, five, four feet tall or five feet tall, or in your teenage years, um, you know, getting five and a half to six feet tall. Your perspective you know, changes. Look, yeah. Your perspective, literally like your perspective <laughs> reference <laughs> the ground and just, you know, your whole world looks different and you it, they see things differently. Yeah. You know, if they, so let's see, they left two episodes ago and between because we have, I'm trying to think of the actors. So we had the six year time jump, at least this episode. So I'm thinking it's probably been about six years or maybe seven or eight for how long they've, the Luke and Jace have been away from King's Landing. They've doubled in age probably. That's a good, right. That's a good long while um, for them to be gone. And they even, they go to a spot on the wall and said, Oh, look, it's still here. Um, you thought you could swing Sir Kristen's morning star, uh, which is his like weapon of choice. Which and we, then see we see him use is it. Yeah. Is it a mace or a more? I, I confuse mace and morning stars. Same thing, basically. I think, uh, I guess Fabian Frankel, the actor for Kristen Cole said that it's really hard to swing the morning star without, you know, hitting yourself in the nuts. Cause you got to control so. <laughs> the its momentum and keep it away from you. It's like it, people using nunchucks, like you're going to hit yourself, you know? Exactly. It's like, it would be a very difficult weapon to mat. Like a lot of people could pick it up and swing it and, you know, be a novice or mediocre, but it's like, it would be very difficult to be, to reach expert or master level, uh, skill level with a morning star. It's heavy too. Yeah. Super heavy. Speaking of the whole uh, change of, perspective from being a shrimpling to being a uh, you know normal sized human <laughs> I, I have a theory the relativity of memory which uh talks about how this uh concept same concept applies to memory you might remember being a small kid and f- remembering how, how an hour feels like a year and a year feels like an eternity but the older you get the weeks fl- start flying by faster and faster and faster it's because there's two different types of memory, right? You have your short-term memory, and it's always the same length. A second will always feel like a second. A minute will always feel like a minute. But then once your your memories get through the, the, uh, the, the filter of short-term memory, they get dumped into long-term memory. Mm-hmm. And it's like a it, long-term memory is like a pie. And so when you're five years old, you have five slices in the pie. And then when you're seven years old, you have seven slices in the pie. And when you're 30... You have 30 slices and relative to the time you've been around each year, each week feels like a shorter amount of time. So that's why time feels like it's passing faster as you're growing up. Every moment feels like a moment, but every year feels like shorter and shorter as you go. It's that effect of the relative scale to to the entire long-term memory bank, uh, which is kind of cool. I like it. That's a good explanation of, you know, Perhaps why, you know, time seems the way it does, you know, at different points in life. Yeah, the relativity of memory, I call it. It's a little homage to Einstein's relativity of time. <laughs> um, nice. They, um, I can't remember. I think it's Luke. 
is, you know, say, Oh, you know, everyone's staring He's at looking us. looking uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And uh, everybody is, you know, they're used to seeing all the Targaryen princes, you know, out there training in the yard uh, with the King's guard. Like, Who are these little, are they look, they're dressed fancy. They look nice. You know, they look like, you know, princelings, but they, they got this, you know, strong looking hair. I mean, uh, brown looking hair. <laughs> um, and he, and Lucerus actually says this, no one would, would question me being heir to Driftmark if I looked more like uh, Laner Valerion than, than Harwin Strong. And, and Jace, uh, you know, kind of hits him with some truth. It's like, it doesn't matter what they think. Um, and that's what Rhaenyra said when they were out on the town. Right. That's exactly what she told, uh, him when he asked her if she was a bastard. Remember all that matters is you're a Targaryen. Sorry. Go ahead. When they're out. Yeah. Yeah. Rhaenyra tells him that, you know, two episodes ago or so, um, it doesn't matter what they think you're a Targaryen. Uh, Rhaenyra, when they were at the play with Damon, you know, out at midnight, she said, um, oh, yeah. They were booing. They were booing. Uh, oh, well, would, will Rhaenyra be strong or weak or something like that? And they said, weak, she'll be weak. <laughs> yeah. And the small Ooh. folk, the, the small <laughs> folk didn't like, you know, the thought of, of a female, you know, being on the Iron Throne. And she's like, well, I'll, I'll show them. And even with, in the first or second episode, she told Rhaenys that, you know, she will make a new order. And, you know, of course, we talked about Danny saying how she'll break, she'll break the wheel. But, you know, all this is, you know, to the royalty, they think that it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, but what people think leads them to make the allegiance and loyalty decisions that they make uh, in the coming dance. Yeah. So, it, you know, they think that it doesn't matter. And to them, it doesn't matter. They're still going to affirm their claims to the Iron Throne and their claims to Driftmark. No matter what people think. It doesn't matter as long as you have dragons, but it matters if yeah. <laughs> somebody else who opposes you has dragons too. Yeah. You know? Right. It doesn't matter what the small folk think, but it matters if somebody who has dragons, yeah. you know, what, what the other what lords and ladies and what the other dragon riders. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the crowd ooze and ahs a little bit. And then we see Amond One Eye uh, dueling with Sir Kristen Cole, sword versus Morningstar, a really interesting dynamic. I don't know that we've seen much Morningstar action. We have and not. Maybe a little bit in a Game of Thrones, maybe in one of the tourneys early on. Just a lot. Like, in the books, I think there's more. Yeah. But so that was that was really cool to see. At first, Jace seems excited, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because he doesn't realize who's fighting yet. And so right. they're like, oh, they hear the cl- the clamor and the clatter of uh, the swords and stuff. And they go over. Then they, they see that it's uh, Kristen Cole who they train with, you know, when they were in King's Landing. And um, bastard. <laughs> yes. And uh, Eamon one eye and he Kristen Cole smashes his shield. And it's like, at what point is training becoming like if he connects that morning star with Eamon one eye? <laughs> yeah, like just a couple inches to the side, it would have shattered his forearm potentially. That's a really bad day. And if it hits him in the head, you know, it's probably fatal or definitely brain damaging. Yeah, and for sure. Like, y'all are just training. This is the big reveal of Amond, right? We haven't seen him before this moment with his new eye patch and stuff. Yeah, we, we get Aegon and Helena in the in the royal apartments with yeah. Alicent. But yeah, we we meet Amond one eye in... Uh, out there in the yard. Upon seeing training. him, Jace and Luke, like, oh, like, look taken aback because he's gotten huge. Yeah, and he's, he's got super his tall. patch and he's so badass. Dude. Yeah, he's got his eye patch. He's got his scar. Um, it's, you know, it, it, I really, really like Eamon One Eye. Um, yeah. I think he's going to be a very compelling character. Uh, him and Kristen duel for a while. So they have like blunted training swords and tourney swords. 
how do you have a blunted morning star? star? <laughs> I don't that? think either of their weapons were blunted in this case. I think they were both using real weapons and you know, people were captivated by it. Like everybody's yeah, watching. They like, probably oh. were. Knowing them too, they probably were. Yeah. But like, I'm just thinking of in a normal training situation, you wouldn't be training the prince. No, no, no. With like an actual deadly weapon. Yeah, you really and like wouldn't. going full force. It's not like Kristen Cole was like, you know, telegraphing his moves and like he shattered a wooden training shield. Did we see some uh, training with real blades at Winterfell too? Seems, uh, seems I mean, kind Arya, of Arya and Brienne have their real swords when they face off. I mean, it's oh, you yeah, know true. training, and then she 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 has the dagger. She does the little hand drop right. thing. I love that with Brienne uh, with Aegon's blade with Aegon's dagger. True. Um, <laughs> way, you know, so far in the future, and that may have been in the beginning of season eight before the Battle of Winterfell. Oh yeah. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's what Brienne sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting how, you know, the training is very realistic. You know, you give them that. Uh, yeah. And Kristen Cole, Kristen Cole is all about that. You know, he's like, you know, turn, you know, all these are tourney knights and tourney champions, but you know, he's the one, Kristen Cole is the one who's real has seen true battle, you know, in the Dornish marches. Um, so, and he tells that to Harwin strong, um, talking about, you know, nobody should expect a fair fight. Um, Right. When it comes to true, when it comes to true battle. So, uh, they, Kristen Cole, try, you know, he's swinging that morning star, you know, very fiercely and I mean, full strength, full power. And Amond is ducking and dodging and he doesn't have a shield anymore. Very adroit movements. Yeah. They, they're both, you know, Amond, we see his skill, you know, with the sword and he's just kind of moving and, you know, counter moving with Kristen and he finally gets the upper hand. He kind of swings. I think he kind of ducks underneath Kristen, swings, and kind of gets behind him. And as Kristen comes, kind of turns around, he has him there with the blade to his neck. And uh, then we sort of, with, with Eamon's first line of the show, we uh, see, is it Kristen who say you'll be winning tourneys in no time? Yeah. Or somebody just... An, yeah, because okay. Kristen like, first is like caught off guard that he has the blade to his neck and then he's like ha ha and starts smiling and i think it's when him that says that yeah i think you'll be winning yeah, that makes, that no makes sense i wasn't sure if it was Kristen or just kind of somebody in the back and you know you haven't lived until you've side. held a blade to somebody's neck like that you know nice. I, I had a guy bust into my apartment on the fifth floor in boston one time when i was going to berkeley and living in in the city uh, dude didn't know i was home i heard a single knock on the door and i was like i'm not answering that that sounds like somebody seeing if I will answer, not somebody that wants me to answer. Mm. So I didn't answer it. And then I hear my window sliding open and the dude comes in from the fire escape and I'm like, oh shit. So I pull out my butterfly knife and dim my lights really, really slowly. So there's not a drastic ambient change that would catch his attention. And I just sat there and waited by my door and he came walking down the hallway and half my mind's like, nothing's happening. You're imagining it. The other half is like, dude, the guy's coming right down the hallway. So he comes down the hallway pushes aside the curtain and walks into my room and is giving it like a once over. And I jumped right up to him and put my blade, my knife against his neck. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. I will kill you. You know, <laughs> and he was crazy. like, hands up, you know, <laughs> dang, that's yeah. crazy. Luckily I didn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a, a legal mess. Yeah. Know, I'm sure. Time. Um, but, it, but anyway, Kristen, you know, tells him, well done. You'll be winning tourneys in no time. And, and then, uh, 
Eamon, we see his personality. I don't give a shit about turnies. And his um, eyes, his eyes like, rah. Yeah, super intense, super focused. And then like he goes straight to, he sees his nephews. Nephews, have you come to train? It's like, <laughs> it's like he's like, please, let me at him. Give me a reason. <laughs> Just give me an opportunity, yeah. And so then we funny. get to, I think the first phrase ever oh. uttered in Game of Thrones and yeah. the pre, in the prologue, you know, right. is the Night's Watch going north through the wall. Open the gate. Yeah, they're going through the tunnel and yeah. So we so we get a guard, a random guard yelling, open the gate. Damn. Uh, good, and then the, I noticed the music here uh, a bit and it was, you know, pretty, you know, just uh, kind of the triumphal entry, you know, kind of a feel. Um, and did you notice the guards, what sigil was on their breastplate that were walking in with Vaymond? Uh, I didn't see it. Was it the seahorse? I swear, you would think they're coming in with Vayman, Vayman Valerian. That's right? what I thought it was. Yeah. What was it? But it's not. I saw on Screen Crush or Screen Heavy Spoilers, Crush? somebody that gets early access and they have their videos done ahead of time. Uh, I was watching a video yesterday and there was were Hightower soldiers. Oh, like interesting. They zoomed in and right. showed it. Oh, Those interesting. Are interesting. Guys. Yeah, because they want Vaymond. If 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 they give Vaymond the uh, the house, you know, if they're able to maneuver and put him as the Lord of Driftmark, then he'll be he'll have an allegiance to them, and they'll get his whole sh- fleet of ships. You know. Yeah, he'll be heir to Driftmark. He don't have any dragons, but he's got um, the biggest fleet in the kingdom. He's got so the biggest fleet at this point, pre Ironborn. <laughs> yeah the, so they have the fleet and then the greens already have vagar dream fire um sunfire yeah those three right for the three targaryen kids and then supposedly darren is is allison's fourthborn. is that your understanding oh there is supposedly a fourthborn named darren like we haven't seen him or heard anything about him. Yeah, he's supposed to be uh, in in the book uh, a ward at at Hightower at uh, Old Town, right? Yeah. So anyway, I just I was just noting that we haven't. So anyway, they have they would yeah. So if they got their way and made Vaymon the heir, they would have the fleet, uh, not the Iron Fleet, but the Valerian fleet. Whatever, if they have a name for the fleet, like the Ironborn, call it the Iron Fleet. Such yeah. a cool name. Um. And then they would have their dragon. So the Seahorth fleet would definitely <laughs> would definitely be pretty pretty formidable. And then they they march into the Red Keep, big and, time. And um, Otto and um, Allison and Vayman are basically pre gaming the actual. I mean, there's the formal petition with Vayman and Rhaenyra and Rhaenys. Yeah, this is like a plaintiff meeting with a judge in secret before a trial. Like, so fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, what is is going on here? So. Oh, sorry about that. Got to turn on my video there for (laughs) a little while. That last segment. So, in the council room, meeting with Otto and Alicent. And Alicent is getting nervous. So, Otto is telling her to chill and to hold her nerve. Mm And he's assuring her what we do, we do for the good of the realm. And uh, she's saying, well, for all we know, Corliss is going to live. And Vaymond is saying, no, but that's true, but we need to be prepared just in case. And 
Otto starts complimenting Jaehaerys and Viserys on the the long period of peace in the realm, but war looms in the Stepstones. And so he's he makes a pretty good point. Like, what do you what do you think? It's a good idea to have a, a little kid and in, in command of the greatest fleet in all of Westeros when war arrives on the Stepstones in the form of ocean oceanic warfare with pirates and stuff, mm-hmm. and the, the triarchy and whatnot. So as we see here, Otto has to try to persuade Alicent, which is another indicator that she's not fully on board with the whole thing. Interestingly, you know. Right. Yeah. This, this sort of scheme, you know, to put Vaymond in charge of Driftmark, I think Allison is, is a little back to the beginning of their conversation. She's a little bit hesitant that it may blow up in their face because if Corliss lives and he gets back to Driftmark and finds out that Vaymond has sailed to King's Landing, Rainey's flew to King's Landing, Rhaenyra and Damon came to defend Lucera's claim. Uh, all in front of the kangaroo court of Otto and Allison. He gonna be mad. Corliss is gonna be really pissed off. <laughs> kangaroo court, um, good one. At his at his brother trying to usurp the Driftwood throne, and you know, and high tide and all that. Yeah. So that's you know, until now I didn't realize exactly what what is hold your nerve, my queen. What is she nervous about what is she but i think she's nervous that this whole scheme and i think it's a scheme by otto and Vayman and allison is the figurehead at the top of it you know being the queen um this is like a big moment of usurpation where they'd be stealing the the fleet out from underneath the green the, the blacks you know the yeah. uh, team rainera so i think allison is nervous about the implications of what they're doing and how it could ignite a larger conflict. And I'm not sure if she's really on board with it. Uh, that's at least that's the impression that I got, which I thought was yeah. interesting. She seems caught between a rock and a hard place. And, and so she says, we must, of course, act in the interest of our subjects, not giving a direct answer to Otto when he asks if you yeah, want a child. Either way, command. Yes. Yeah, he, he does make a fair point. But yeah, she says, we have to act in the interest of our subjects. Yeah, so, right. You know, Otto would say the interest of their subjects is to have a strong commander of the fleet from from high tide and driftmark. And she so, could see yeah. civil war as a result of it, potentially, which could be bad for the uh, the subjects. Yeah, definitely. Or, yeah. And, and if, you know, so Otto would still probably try to argue the interest of the subjects would be for Vayman to take over for sure. But, and, and she's sure. thinking, and she's thinking just playing point counterpoint, you know, devil's advocate. She may be thinking of, okay, but what about the repercussions of this scheme? Right, and yeah. you know, if Corliss finds out or, you know, if, or if he survives, like we said, but it seems like a typical politician answer to me where she gave an answer without giving a direct answer. And yeah, absolutely. Vayman continues to try to push her. Yeah, and he, he, says, he basically yeah. pushes a, a pre- quid pro quo here yeah yeah He's yeah like, the next lord of the tides will be deeply in your debt your grace and he kind of gives her this look that's like me you know come on <laughs> as will driftmark in all of its strength i'll give you all of our strength and yeah, i.e uh, the fleet yeah like like i said yeah. she's sort of caught in between a rock and a hard place and the camera cuts to a shot where it's looking through the back of the chair that's opposite the table of allison and there's three arched uh, holes in the back of the chair and Allison is placed at the center of the three holes and it's it sort of hmm. symbolizes how there are factions on both sides of her trying to get her to 
side with yeah. him and she's caught in the middle but you know and uh, so at this point i'm i think that she's not really she hasn't really picked a side it seems like uh she's she's probably having second thoughts about egon because he's a shit and she's like you know if we're making this coup move right now it's going to result in the end game with egon being the king and is that really good for the subjects? <laughs> you know, like right because he's of age now. I mean, he, yeah. he wouldn't be he wouldn't have a regent, you know, ruling in his stead until he come of age. So, at the end of this, it would be him on the throne. He's got that whole like demented look to him throughout yeah, this whole episode. He, he, somebody, I think I can't remember if I saw it on Twitter or in our group chat, but it's like he basically looks like Dwight Schrute with from the Office. <laughs> With Targaryen hair, and uh, just more, one. just more perverse and rude, and you know. So, <laughs> Michael, classic. Uh, then, so that you know, I think there's some thundering in the background as we come into the Godswood. All right, we'll leave it right there for now, and we'll pick up. A little later on with part two, right where we left off here, entering the Godswood scene with Rhaenyra and Rhaenys. Part two coming soon with all the awesome Viserys stuff. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.